0: Scripture this morning is from 2 Samuel, chapter 11, verse 26, through chapter 12, verse 13. Listen for God's word. When the wife of Uriah heard that her husband was dead, she made lamentation for him. When the mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord And the Lord sent Nathan to David. Nathan came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich men had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. He brought it up, and it grew up with him and his children. It used to eat of his meager fare and drink from his cup and lie in his bosom. It was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he would not take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the wayfarer, but he took the poor man's lamb and prepared that for the guest who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. He said to Nathan, "'As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die.'" He shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. I anointed you over Israel and I rescued you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your bosom and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah And if that had been too little, I would have added as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, for you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah to be yours." Thus says the Lord, I will raise up trouble against you from within your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your, wife, with your wives in the sight of this very son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the Son. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy God, thank you for this text. Thank you that you meet us in the words of scripture, however they hit us today. Lord, open our ears and our eyes and our hearts to the message you have for us. Amen. So this story we come to today is a definite low point in the life of King David. We know King David's story well and we initially first think of things like beating Goliath with a slingshot and being chosen as the smallest of Jesse's sons to be anointed and brought up to this position of power. We think of him as this incredible powerful king of this united monarchy. And we usually call him a hero. But here in this story, he is at the very bottom of a pit. And to catch us up on what has just happened, we know that in his position of power, David took a wrong turn. He is at war. He has sent out his troops to conquer more folks and... David has taken Pastor Garrett's advice and stayed at home and took a nap. And he has gotten up from his afternoon nap and is sort of walking around on the roof of his palace, and he sees from his vantage point a woman bathing. So David, being the most powerful person in the land, beckons his servants and says, go find out who that is. They come back and say, Her name is Bathsheba, and she is married to one of your own fighters, to a man named Uriah, who is out fighting the fight right now. So David calls Bathsheba to him. The verb actually is, he takes her. Bathsheba becomes pregnant, and David knows he needs to cover up his tracks. So again, having the kind of power that he does, he calls Uriah back from the battle lines and under the guise of getting an update on what's going on, and he hopes that when he is there, he will go back to his home, he will sleep with his wife, and the pregnancy will be explained. But Uriah is a very moral and upright man, and he refuses the comforts of home in solidarity with the troops, and he sleeps outside. So David gets more and more conniving and he tries to get Uriah drunk and send him home and that doesn't work. And so he goes to an extreme and he writes a note to send back to battle with Uriah to the commanding officer. And the note says, put Uriah in the front lines where it is so dangerous that there is no way he will survive. Imagine Uriah carrying this note back himself. I would have looked, I'll be honest, and then maybe hidden that note. But he faithfully does his task that the king has given him. He gives this note to the commanding officer. He's sent to the front lines, and he's killed. And not only him, but some other collateral damage casualties in this war are also killed. So at this point, David thinks, I've figured it out, I've solved my problems, and it's over. He allows Bathsheba to do the morning rituals, and then he calls her to the palace to be his wife. He thinks it's the end of the story, but then Nathan shows up. This is a low point of David's story, and I think it's one that's actually really good for us to consider. I think it's good for us to sit in this low point of David's life for a couple reasons. First, because we don't often do it as the church. We jump to all of those glorious stories and call him a hero, and we celebrate King David, and he certainly is a hero of the faith, but we need to be honest about his whole story. We talk about all of the great things David did, and then often under our breath, we'll say something like, well, there was that one incident with Bathsheba and Uriah, but nobody's perfect. And we'll kind of downplay it. Of course, all heroes have flaws, but it doesn't mean we should gloss over them and not name what's going on. The truth is we see David exploiting his power to control others in a very harmful way in this story. Some very damaging patriarchal interpretations over the years have said, oh, well, Bathsheba seduced David. Somehow it's her fault, right? And even today, I can imagine in my head some of the stories that I've read or uh, visuals in TV shows or movies where Bathsheba is portrayed as a very seductive woman. To blame Bathsheba for seducing David is akin to our current culture rape prevention programs talking only about what women need to wear or not do or do rather than teaching about consent. We need to acknowledge the severity of what happens with Bathsheba and then with Uriah afterward because it's a big deal. I think this is a great moment to be reminded that anytime we come across situations in Scripture where we see sexism or racism or xenophobia, we need to name it. That doesn't make the Scripture any less holy. And it doesn't mean that God can't work through those people still. But we need to bring all of who we are and all of our sensibilities to the text and be honest about what we see. The second reason I think it's important to dwell at this low point of David's story is because God thinks it's a big deal. Through Nathan, God has said to David, you despise me with your actions. You despise the word of God. You have done what is evil in my sight. It's a big deal to God. And so Nathan enters the scene. And Nathan tells this story about the sheep. The rich man who has a lot, and the poor man who just has one that he has loved like a child. And then the rich man takes the poor man's lamb to serve for a guest for dinner. We can see David getting sucked into this story, and at the end of it, he proclaims loudly that this rich man should be put to death. At the very least, he should restore the lamb fourfold. He knows the right and the wrong. David completely misses the point of this story. Or rather, he understands the point of the story, but he doesn't see how he's connected. He doesn't see how his story is similar. David judges before he notices judges the rich man before he notices that his story has a lot of similarities. It's very common and a lot of us do things like this. I recently heard about a research study that came out of the University of Wisconsin and they were studying children and their ability to pick up morals from stories. So they had these kids watch an episode of Clifford the Big Red Dog And in this episode, Clifford and his friends are playing, and a three-legged dog comes up and asks to play. And Clifford and his friends sort of look at one another and say, well, should we let this other dog play? He kind of looks a little different. I just, I don't know. He might not be able to keep up. But they decide to let him play, and they have a great time. So, after the kids watch this episode, they sit them down and ask, What do you think the moral of that story was? And by and large, the kids said, Here's the moral. We know it's obvious. We should be nice to three legged dogs. (laughs) Which is great. We should be nice to three legged dogs. But the moral was supposed to be so much more than that, right? It was supposed to be about us welcoming in people that might be a little different from us as well. Sometimes we see the story and we might get the point, but we stop at judging and we forget to notice where we might be in the story. What we might be called to because of the story. David has missed The point. Many of us miss the point. And sometimes we never get to that moment of actually noticing. Over the past couple of weeks, I read a lot of stories about a certain billionaire who recently went into space. And I read a lot of stories about how he treats his employees and how he sometimes makes them work when they don't feel safe and about how he has gathered all of this excess wealth and not really let it trickle down to the hard workers at the bottom of his organization. I've read about how he pays less in taxes than I do, and I have felt judgment. <laughs> but then also, i my husband's birthday happens to be today. <coughs> I know I outed you, I'm sorry. Congratulations. So, you know, something like that comes up, and I I decide to log on to this handy little site I've heard heard about called Amazon.com, because it's such a quick and efficient way to order a gift, right? And I don't think about the ways that even my small actions might contribute to an imbalanced economy of wealth. I stop at judgment... And I forget to notice. Notice the ways that I might be involved in the things that I'm judging. I do this too with my own wealth. It might not be go-to-space kind of wealth, but in the grand scheme of the world, I'm a wealthy person. We all are. And I think of the ways that I squander what I have in ways that I could be helping other people. A lot of us stop at judgment before we get to noticing. And it takes a lot of training and guidance to shift that perspective. I'm going to share an exercise with you all that a professor of mine in seminary taught me. I'm going to ask you to do it with me, if you're willing. I want you to point up at the ceiling. Good job. And I want you to, you know, you can pick out one of these lights maybe, and I want you to move your finger in a circle going clockwise. Keep it going, spin it around clockwise, and slowly lower your elbow as your finger still turns clockwise until it's all the way below your nose. Now look at your finger and tell me which way is it going. (laughs) Counterclockwise. This isn't dark magic. You can do it again. It's real. Perspective matters, doesn't it? It can be true that it's clockwise and counterclockwise at the same time, depending on your perspective. I should have saved this till the end, because I feel like now no one's going to listen. They're just going to be like, <laughs> 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 Perspective matters. It shifts the truth of what we see. Nathan had to say to David, you are the man. Nathan had to show David how to stop looking at the story like this and start looking at it like this. And David actually responds well. He could have used that same power and just had Nathan executed. I don't like what I hear. Go away. But he doesn't. He responds with confession and repentance. I have sinned against the Lord. There are ancient manuscripts of this text that actually leave a gap after the story that we just read today. And there's little asterisk there, and it sends you to Psalm 51. And when you go to Psalm 51, you'll notice that it says a Psalm of David after Nathan had come to him at this time. Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Create in me a clean heart, O God and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Where are you in this story? Are you a David in need of a perspective change? In need of a call away from judgment and into noticing? I heard of a a therapist who would work with um, people who had experienced trauma through creative writing. And she would do all kinds of really interesting exercises with her patients, and the most interesting one I found was that she would invite her patients to write the story of their trauma, but to write it from the perspective of the person or the situation that hurt them. To take on that voice and to have that be the main character. So there was one example of a physician who had been sued and he was traumatized by this event and really hurt and mad and he wrote a story from the perspective of the people who sued him. And as you might imagine, as you write a story and take on the voice of a character, you really have to get into their head and think about their motivations in a way that you wouldn't otherwise. And so through this therapy exercise, she says that so many patients came to a point of healing and just of acknowledgement of the complexity of many of their situations. It didn't take away the trauma. It didn't erase the hurt or make everything okay, but it invited them into a new place of perspective that allowed for hope and for healing. we often need help changing our perspectives. Sometimes I think we are the David in the story needing that shift, but I also think we are called to be the Nathans in this story as well. The ones who are speaking truth to power. That's our call as a church. It's our call as a Matthew 25 church to notice places where racism and economic injustice show up in the world and to loudly speak about it, to get involved. Many of us recently partnered with some of our friends at Greenfield Presbyterian Church in a letter-writing campaign. We wrote to representatives and senators about important things coming up, things being debated on the issues of racism and reparations and of voting suppression and all kinds of things. Even in those small ways, we can look to those in power and find ways to speak truth. Where are you in the story? I invite us all to take time when we come to stories, stories of scripture, stories of people that we hear about or read about, stories that we tell ourselves in our own minds. Don't just assume you know the moral and the hero and gloss over the rest. Try to imagine it from a new perspective. Jesus shows us how to do that in his earthly ministry, as he says over and over again, you've heard it said, don't be angry, or don't kill, but I say, don't even be angry. You've heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, but I say, love your enemy. Over and over and over again, Jesus shows people how to stop doing this and start doing this. And through his teaching and his life and his death and resurrection, Jesus gives us a new perspective on this God who we love. Slow down and listen to stories with your whole self. What might God be speaking to us today? Let's pray. Holy God, thank you for story the powerful teaching tool that it can be for the stories that we find all around us. God, help us to bring new perspectives to some old, familiar stories, and help us to be people who speak truth to power. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. (coughs)